0: I, I don't know if this is for me as like a specific food as a preparation, but uh, among my friends, I, I've gotten some hate for the fact that that I enjoy having peanut butter jelly sandwiches open-faced because when you swish yes. them together, it drips um, all over your hands, and that's disgusting. So I think you might I prefer be making your sandwiches wrong. Blue. <laughs> yeah, it's not a sandwich. <laughs> that is... <laughs> that's
1: two pieces of toast.
2: <laughs> yeah. God, we've had this and conversation
1: and before, I'm still about it.
3: Do we need to get Incredible. one of those, like, uncrustable sandwich presses for you to keep it from spilling <laughs> when you eat it? <laughs> You
0: need uh, the, yeah, the well,
2: ravioli of PB&J right there. Mm. God.
0: I don't need to oh. explain myself to you people.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh.
0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. I am Blue, and I'm joined by Red. What's up? And special guest, Max Miller from Tasting History. Max, how are you doing today?
1: I'm fantastic. It's, uh, you know, Sunday, so... I love a Sunday. That's when I'm recording, at least. Ah, oh, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> it is. Uh, it is wonderful to have you on. We've been fans uh, of your channel since uh, since we stumbled onto the Garm episode. So yeah. it is so wonderful yes. to uh, uh, to to have you on here with us today. We're gonna talk about some some YouTube videos. Have uh, have some some good fun uh, and uh, just enjoy ourselves. Um, cool. We here on OSP had two videos out in the past two weeks as is how calendars work um uh red you had a video on the myth of the cowherd and the weaver girl yeah that was a fun one It N- was nice yeah. clean um, easy myth
3: yeah nice and <laughs> short although uh we did get some comments that were like how is this only four minutes it didn't feel like four minutes which is odd because normally that's like a bad thing but i got the impression it was complimentary but it's a little hard to tell uh but yeah no it was a uh, it was a fun myth one of the um classic ones that are connected with festivals and celebrations. So those are always fun to do. Uh, And it is fun because it's one of those myths that has... Literally no canon. Every single version I found of this myth was completely different. Uh, there were running themes, but no two of them were the same. So like, we one of the most common things I noticed in the comments and in the Discord discussion was people being like, yeah, she neglected to mention the part where the ox sacrificed himself to, so his hide could be turned into the boat, or the part where the clothing thing didn't happen. It's like, yeah, I, I neglected to mention that because uh, there's a million versions of this story and that was only in like two of them. So I decided it probably wasn't worth putting in. Um, It's always fun. It's always fun when people argue canon in mythology of all places.
0: (laughs) It's a nightmare. And Max, I feel like you would would deal with this uh, fairly often as well because a lot of your videos, and I realize my manners are terrible, I didn't, I introduced you, I didn't actually introduce your channel. Uh, (laughs) You do a lot of videos about uh, the history of of food and and, and drink in all its forms across all kinds of different cultures. And uh, a common theme is is foods related to certain festivals or or ceremonies. So I feel like you've got to have a lot of these same issues cropping up in your research as well, right? (laughs)
1: All the time. I mean, and not just, you know, sometimes it'll be like I'm talking about a certain myth that it's mentioned in or whatever. And, yeah, the, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's different in every village in China has a different version. It's like, well, yep. I'm not going to cover all 250,000 of them. Um, yep. but, and, but that can also be the case with history. Oh, yeah. Because a lot of history is, you know, just a step up from myth, in all honesty. <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it's, it's yeah. kind of invented tradition. And so you'll get different different stories, or you'll just have to leave stuff out because my videos are only like 16, 17 minutes. And so yeah. y- you leave stuff out and people are like, well, you forgot. No, no I didn't forget. It's just, <laughs> just, just didn't make it in. Blue's got yeah. some
3: grievances about that too. In the longer form of history videos, we'll be like, I'm going to be covering the entire history of the American revolution. And people will be like, why didn't you talk about this right. one boat thing? And it's like, what do you? Oh, I'm sorry. Cause I didn't want to make this video 45 minutes long. Maybe.
0: Yeah. Uh, It's also like, you know, everyone in Greece says that their village is one of the towns that Hercules passed through. It's like, okay, (laughs) buddy, sure. You get that all all, everywhere has their own little version of that. Yeah. Uh, And everywhere uh, in the Mediterranean has the Hercules
3: one specifically.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You don't really have, you know, a a canon for, for myth. You have a lot of different versions of it locally. And it's like, yeah, you know, these stories are... Are are older than iron, but you know there's yeah, it's right. still a living tradition. They still they still change and move around, and that's yep. that's what makes them so fun. Yep.
3: yep, and that's especially true of constellation myths and star myths in general, because oh. <laughs> you know the the things that inspire those are it's older than humans as a species for the most part. Uh, right. And while stars do change, and usually not on the scale that we can observe in even the last hundred thousand years, like the there, there's this um, very fun little thing about uh, the Pleiades star cluster, which is that uh, there are seven stars in it, but for the last 100,000 years or so, only six of them have been visible. Two of them are too close together to distinguish with the naked eye. Uh, oh. and, but every myth, every version of the myth is that there are seven of them, and one of them left or died or became invisible which implies that the myth itself is older than those stars drifting close enough together to become indistinguishable. There was a whole article about this last year called a like a star cluster reveals possible oldest human myth, which is so cool. But that's, that's like a rare case. That doesn't normally happen. <laughs> the story of Vega and Altair will happen for as long as those two stars are visible and they're not going anywhere anytime soon. So uh, it was a fun
1: now, I had a question about your because you, you mentioned that you kind of picked up stargazing mm. uh, during during pandemic times. Yeah. Do you have like a fancy telescope or are you just out there looking up and in... because I'm in Los Angeles. So we have like four stars here mm. um, and two of them are planes, so yeah. it's not really an option for me. So yeah. I was just wondering, like, how are you seeing these stars?
3: I actually do have a fancy telescope, but I did not have a fancy telescope back in June when I started. Uh, I, I got it as a present for Hanukkah, which was very nice. nice. Um, but uh, yeah, I just I've got like a really nice shady little spot without that much light pollution, and uh, I can't see like a million stars, but I can see the big ones. And with the telescope, I can see a lot more, uh, awesome. which is pretty cool. Although I got <laughs> I got uh, into the habit of uh, looking for shooting stars uh, back in twenty twenty two because uh, around. Um, between Wait, like... I'm
0: sorry, back in twenty twenty two. Red, you need to explain some things. Oh yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah, sorry. Uh greetings Don't from the spoil future. it
0: for us. I wanna I
1: wanna be surprised
0: over the next year. Yeah.
3: Really? After all the surprises the last couple of years have had?
0: Give me um, more uncertainty. I need fewer reasons to be able to sleep at night.
3: <laughs> um but uh between like June and October there are several uh just shooting star storms basically they don't tend yeah. to be all that intense uh but you know they do happen so i just got in the habit of just like chilling out for a few hours and, and just like watching for shooting stars and i got so in the zone that at one point i saw a plane and i was like wow that's a oh right um <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's red storm. and green ah! yeah it's like wow it's so bright and slow oh okay <laughs> um yeah. but yeah, no, it was a it was a very relaxing hobby when it wasn't boring. You know, that's how it works a lot of the time. It's right? Like, am I in the mood it's to like sit fishing. in one place? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Am I in the mood to sit still for four hours and watch things very slowly change, if at all? Sometimes, but frequently not. Uh, Actually,
0: on the subject of shooting stars, uh, when I was like 13 years old uh, in Greece one summer, I found a really convenient life hack that you can approximate a shooting star by shining a flashlight onto a telephone wire. Uh, (laughs) It looks very convincing. (laughs) Huh. (laughs) So basically, if you've spent all night
1: out there and you haven't seen anything and you're disappointed, just get your flashlight, you know, (laughs) shine it up there. You'll be taken care of.
0: It it looks really convincing. You just, you know, it's like one of those little power lines or whatever that's just like going across the street. And it's like, oh, wow. And you can make it like do fun dances and stuff. (laughs) My mom was very impressed until she saw that I was holding a flashlight in my other hand.
3: (laughs) (laughs) She was like, my son can control the shootings. Oh, okay. Great. Oh, man but no it was um... he's not a
0: celestial he's just a liar (laughs) (laughs)
3: Um, but yeah it was uh, it was fun to do and there's a lot of versions of the myth that I'm less familiar with like I didn't look into specifically the version uh, in Japan with the Tanabata festival uh, or the Korean one with the festival whose name escapes me Uh, but they're all you know clearly based on the same story Uh, Mm -hmm. a lot of the times the uh, the, it looks like the characters are named different things but they're actually just named the local languages version of cowherd and weaver girl (laughs) yeah um which uh, I, I was, I had a version of the script where I pronounced their names every time. And after I struggled through the first one, I was like, that's just gonna make people mad. <laughs> so <laughs> that's why we got, oh, the Cowherd does this. Nobody will be too upset with me this time. But, um.
0: It could be no, worse. It could have been Irish. Oh, <laughs> oh. oh God,
3: I've got a couple of those in a, in a thing I'm working on and I'm just like, is there a pronunciation guide for this esoteric character anywhere on the internet? Because if not, I'm gonna have to wing it and then people are gonna yell at me. <laughs> um, well,
1: and but even if you do it right, people are gonna yell at you with, with languages like any Irish or any oh of the uh, Gaelic languages because nobody can agree on how they're pronounced. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's You nobody. get it right Heavy in one dialect. region and
3: every other region is like, you're wrong and also terrible. It's yeah. like, I'm sorry, I, I yeah. can't please all of you. <laughs> Oh, I mean, God. I get
1: that with English. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I mean, yeah no, definitely. People saying that's not the right way to pronounce the word herb.
3: People have dialed because that back uh, in recent videos I, or recent dish. I ha- Which one was it? Um, I think it was when I was covering the Book of Invasions uh, and I was discussing how it is Literally impossible to find any consensus on how the pronunciation of uh, Favra, uh, yeah. if it is pronounced that way, is supposed to go. And I was like, if I just say this, people are going to yell at me. So let's walk <laughs> them through the whole minute and a half of why they're not allowed to yell at me.
0: Right. <laughs> and after that, that actually, most of them the back. That reminds me, Max, of, of in your video uh, on placenta. Uh, Roman placenta. Yeah, yeah. and you, the, the like, minute and a half rant on pronunciations was like everything that I've always wanted yeah. to like yep. be able to articulate but never could find the words for. There are a million different ways to pronounce Latin. Just pick one, stick with it, and you're fine. They're all valid. (laughs) Right.
1: Because, you know what? None of them are correct. You yes. can almost <laughs> bet yourself that yep. none of them. I, well, I love people who say, well, that's not how ancient Babylonian was spoken. And it's like, mm-hmm. really? Oh, you know,
3: <laughs> you know that? You've been using your ancient Babylonian Duolingo pass to I uh, <laughs> I gotta say that the video on the placenta, I, I saw it in my recommended box like three days in a row and I looked at it and I was like, do I wanna know? I <laughs> I don't, after three days I watched it, I was like, oh, it's a cake. Okay, cool. Oh, thank but,
0: Curse knowledge dot mp4. I
3: I looked at it and I was like, "Uh, not today.
0: (laughs) Yeah Yeah. Uh, Speaking of speaking of Roman stuff uh, Uh uh, My video uh, on on my side of the Mm -hmm. the channel recently was a a video on uh, uh, On Roman history. Uh, This is uh, uh, going in the list of my best segues of all time Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Indigo we weren't running long that was just a setup Uh, (laughs) But uh, I had a video on the the crisis of the third century a famously obtuse period in Roman history when it seemed like everything was going wrong Far more than usual uh, and I, I it was a history hijinks video uh, because honestly, I feel like that's accurate <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I, I had intended to make it just like a little like five or six minute You know like a little, little quick dive uh, And then hop out and have that be it But I'm like now I I really need to explain what's going on with the breakaway empires And uh, I thought I could end with Aurelian But no, I really have to tie it together with Diocletian and then I ended up with a normal length 10-minute video So fuck me uh, <laughs> But I had a lot of fun with that because Roman history is always a treat it's it's such a mess, but in so entertaining of a way. Yes. Oh, it was yeah. Great.
3: Yeah. That's reading always, through the
1: especially
0: dealing with such a
1: broad topic as the yeah. third century. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like how do I start and finish this? Because history is just never as, as you know, clipped as as we want it to be. Because, like you said, it leads into something else, and it's like, well, I kind of yeah. need to mention this.
0: Or... <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: So I think you did a great job, but, Thank but you. I, I feel your pain.
0: Yeah, it's, it was, it's tough uh, because, like, you can draw the line forward for context, you know, up until... Okay, so in, in, in 753 BC, they founded this city, and it's like, oh, right. no, I need to explain the Trojans. Fuck! Then uh, <laughs> you can, you know, yeah. keep going and going and going. And some people are like, but you didn't explain how the Tetrarchy fell apart. I'm like, that's what the next video's for, guys. Give me a break. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming.
3: I thought yeah. it was interesting how, like, what just when I was reading through the script initially when it was like oh they finally figured out that if you don't like the leader you can just kill the leader and become the leader but the problem is once you do that you you show everybody else that that works and now you're yeah. the leader who oh, they might kill if they don't like you and it's just i was yep. like how long does this how long does this domino chain keep falling <laughs>
1: the bloodiest game of duck duck goose ever <laughs>
3: yeah it's like each of these each of these like stabby emperors is like i'm going to be the one that nobody wants to stab <laughs> it's like oh yeah yep. sure for like 3 months maybe yeah.
0: Oh, man. I'm just imagining a bunch of, like, Roman generals, like, goose sum, and then they get their <laughs> head cuffed off, and the next guy's like, <laughs> goose erat, ego goose sum. <laughs> now I am the goose. <laughs>
3: uh. Oh, No.
0: My Latin's not that good as to to, to quip uh, uh, off the cuff. <laughs> you,
1: you did pretty well. I, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah I
0: it's okay. I took Latin in high school, but it's all it's all fallen uh, uh, out the back of my brain, mm-hmm. um, such as life. But no, I I really have fun because you get to to take like you know the the economic look at how all those things happen. And I actually took one class uh, in college that was about economics and history, and we had like an entire unit on like the process of debasing the currency to pay for the army's increasingly large paychecks and just how much of a nightmare it was and how, mm. like, you know, Aurelian tried to fix it and he he stood no chance and Diocletian, like, kind of fixed it but he put in price controls and that didn't really do anything and there was a thriving black market for everything uh, to get around the price controls and, you know, some people are like, oh, if Aurelian wasn't assassinated, the empire would have lived on for another thousand years. It's like, yeah, he was a better general than he was an emperor. Um, mm-hmm. It sucks that he died, but, like, eh, I don't think it, he was gonna be that good. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's fun. It's, it's a good topic of debate because there's so many what-ifs of, like, oh, if, oh, if this emperor number 37 out of 250 wasn't <sighs> killed right then and there, then maybe, maybe, yeah, so.
3: Yeah, history is, is frustrating because, like, on the one hand, small changes do have big impact, but on the other hand, small changes frequently have no impact. So it's like, yeah. would he have survived or would he have, like you know, turned out to be, like, King Aurelian puppy murderer who loves murdering puppies if he'd, like, made it another year. <laughs> uh, what Aurelian. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: oh, no. Yeah. The one thing that I'm proud of for that video particularly was uh, the swerve that the breakaway empires of the Gallic Empire and the Palmyrene Empire were just the the secret setup for the Tetrarchy. I, I don't know if that is, like... A position held in academia but i like that i i like that theory so i subscribe to it <laughs> hey what i also went something
1: that you had mentioned in the video now kind of escapes me but you, you were talking about grain in egypt and just yes. kind of making sure and i was like hmm, i need to look more into that that could be an entire tasting history episode oh, yeah. right yeah, there yeah. so yeah
0: it's, on my it was, list. It was Crazy, because, you know, it, Egypt was, you know, one of the most stable states in history for, for so long because it's yeah. like everything you need is right there on the Nile. Oh, and it's yeah. so easy for one government. Like, you just have slightly more boats than everybody else, and then the Nile is yours. <laughs> so right. so grain was a constant, and, you know, the economy was, was doing so well for so long because they just shipped it out to everywhere else. And after Hannibal uh, came marching through Rome, uh, or came marching through Italy, like Italy, which had been the other breadbasket of the Mediterranean, was was pretty was pretty busted up and obviously you know it got better now that there weren't like you know uh carthaginian elephants marching around the plains uh but the the agriculture of italy was messed up for a while which is why it was so uh dangerous when when marcus antonius had egypt and augustus didn't uh so um egyptian grain was a was a big um a big feature uh, of, of Roman agriculture and the Roman economy which is why after Caesar like you know struck a deal with Cleopatra he was able to give grain and bread to so many people because he's like oh now i have like cheap easy egyptian grain that i can do whatever with and that's why they loved him so much yep. so it, it, egyptian grain could could very easily sustain an entire tasting history video i'm sure that's... Uh, oh, yeah. but obviously yeah, i don't want to I don't want to put things on your plate. We get enough requests as it is. And I'm sure on it's much plate? the same for you. Cause it's like, I know a, a food from somewhere that deserves an episode. And yeah, sure it does, but you know, not always complicated.
1: Not <laughs> always. Sometimes, sometimes they do. And you know, I love, I love it. Cause I always add them to my list. It's just, my list has several hundred ideas and I put yeah. a video at each week. So, you know, I'll get to it in three or four years. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but sometimes, you know, it's one of the frustrating things is getting down the path and realizing, this isn't that interesting. This mm. food is not as interesting as as I kind of expected it to be or, you know, there just isn't history about this very famous dish or whatever. And uh and then I have to abandon it. So mm.
0: Yeah. That's tough, but so so for those of us uh, in in the audience here who, who might not be, uh, who are unfortunate enough to not be familiar with your channel, Max, could you just basically, you know, like explain uh, what it is that you do on your channel and yep. um, perhaps talk about uh, one of your uh, recent videos?
1: Yeah, so I take old recipes from history or sometimes recreate them, but I tend to take old recipes and make them at home in my home kitchen and then I talk about the history of the food or the culture that was eating it or some very tenuous link to another topic that I want to discuss.
0: <laughs> That's the art is being able to, to make those connections and then yeah. you know, take the leap over and talk about this other thing. All right, the yeah. segue. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I have a, I have a few videos actually, actually out recently, but one that I was pleasantly surprised at was, what I what I'm pretty sure has to be one of the most complicated hummus recipes of all time. Uh, hummus is one of my favorite foods. It's it's you know it's super simple. It's like chickpeas, some tahini, maybe garlic, salt, and you're done. Uh, this one has 28 ingredients. What? Yeah, it's from wow. 14th century Egypt. It's one of the first recipes for hummus, wow. and uh, and it's it's fascinating. And the book that it comes from is really interesting. Just to see some of the you know, it was a, it was kind of a renaissance of food culture and culture in general in 14th century Egypt. Uh, mm. You know, they were they were kind of way ahead of Europe at the time in yeah. so many ways. So to read oh, this, yeah. some of the things in this cookbook, um, and see how far ahead they were, as well as you know they were still all about galen and those four humors oh yeah and so you know a whole section on the no-nos of drinking water especially if it's cold and stuff like that it's just it's really funny um and oh, interesting no. so that I, is cool that episode should be out uh this week so
0: and just medieval Egypt in general is really really fascinating because after you know after Islam came to it and all those transformations in in the southern Mediterranean were going on it became like what like basically one of the most impressive cities uh in the entire Mediterranean outside of like Constantinople and like you know maybe venice uh Dang. wow yeah no i i'm, I'm very curious to, to watch that video uh, uh unfortunately time... uh it has not come out for us yet at the time of recording but at the time <laughs> right. of this podcast uh it is out so i'm very excited for that at the time they actually called cairo the mother of nations which yeah. is wow.
1: you know that's yeah. that's kind of how high they... praise
0: high i was praise actually um, yeah. uh, ibn khaldun uh, the historiographer who i made a video on last uh, last december said that uh, I did not understand the power of Islam until I saw Cairo.
1: <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah, it's and cool.
1: especially at that time, it was just.
0: Yeah, it was an. It was an.
1: It, it's so different from what you think of as the Islamic world today, because mm-hmm. I mean, they were inventing things like alcohol, and half of the book is recipes for beer, and <laughs> you know, uh, so it's it's just very different from. From our ideas uh, today, I think a lot of people, especially you know, America and Europe, kind of have a bit of a monolithic view of, yeah. Oh, yeah. of that part of the world, <laughs> yeah. and it, it's totally not. You know, i mean, at the same yeah. time, in another part of the Islamic world, there was Mansa Musa, um, yeah. and you know, obviously an incredibly different world, and he actually came through cairo at this time period and would have eaten some of these recipes from this cookbook oh, wow. and everything. I so know. that's huh. really cool it's a fascinating time
0: yeah but I, on I... the subject of of beer uh and historical drinks you've dabbled in that on a handful of occasions with stuff like viking mead but yeah uh you i believe have a new show coming out soon
1: <laughs> yeah i mean so it's drinking history i i would say it's the same show but different because mm. it's going to be on the same channel and everything oh, yeah um, yeah. and very often tied into what I was cooking that week or the next week or whatever. But alcohol has a fancy history, uh, you know,
3: just
1: <laughs> fascinating. And so many wonderful stories can be linked to alcohol. And but and not just alcohol, but drinks in general, Yeah. chocolate, tea, oh, yeah. coffee, um, lemonade, you know, it's <laughs> uh, root beer, so some interesting things. And so many of them are makeable at home, mm, especially yeah. historic cocktails from the mm-hmm. 1800s and early 1900s. So I'll be making those, those drinks, talking about those drinks, but it's also going to be kind of a way for me to talk about things that have absolutely nothing to do with food or alcohol or drinking in general and it'll be like hey today we're making this cocktail from 1875 and we're talking about whatever interesting (laughs) topic i want to discuss that has nothing to do with it um because while i'm researching all of the food history i come across so many little stories that are like oh this would be great but it has nothing to do with the episode so it doesn't make it in
3: yeah the struggle Um, of staying
1: on task yeah and one you just can't put everything in um the video Everybody like you would said five the videos hours. Would be forever <laughs> yeah um and so this will be an excuse for me to be able to tell some of those stories and they're going to be a lot shorter i'm hoping seven eight minutes tops Ooh. for most of the episodes nice. you know i'm not going to be doing the entire history of coffee i'll be doing a you know the history of Coffee houses in 18th century France or England, you know. Mm. Yeah, so just yeah, shorter it, things.
0: It allows you to be a little more specific and not have, you know, quite the quite the same responsibility of like, you know, constructing a totalizing history uh, right. uh, of chicken and Parthia to assemble Parthian chicken. <laughs> yeah. Although I will say, having
3: a having briefly researched the history of coffee, it is pretty fascinating how oh, those beans got <laughs> outside yeah. of the one country that had them for a while.
1: Well, and honestly, there probably will be those episodes. The mm. longer episodes where I do cover the kind of a overview of coffee or tea or whiskey, you know, scotch and stuff, those will have to be longer.
3: Yeah. Overview but for the most part, I don't want them a to Lord. be.
1: <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> but partly because, one, I can't put out two full videos a week. Right. It's, I, I, I mean, yeah. I mean, these videos take probably about 40 or 50 hours on average. So yeah. do the math. Um, You know, doing two a week would kill me. Yeah, Um, I mean,
0: we we put out one video every other week, and it still almost kills us. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. it's a
1: lot. So my goal is to have, you know, my normal Tuesday videos and then one of these drinking history videos every couple weeks and just make it shorter, simpler. Obviously, for most of it, it's also going to be easier to actually do the preparation because instead of baking a cake, which takes... When you're filming it, it can take six hours. Yeah. Um, it'll take, you know, 10 minutes to make a cocktail. No, exactly. Uh, though, then there are also things, I'm, I'm gonna be doing Sumerian beer in a couple months. Well, Ooh. that does take a little while to make
0: And that, Egypt. That yeah. sounds cool, because uh, one of my history teachers uh, one time explains uh, his, his thesis for the origin of civilization, which is that someone left their, their barrel of, of wheat in a slightly damp place, and they right? opened it, and it's like, ah, darn it. Well, I guess I I better uh, mix this up with some other stuff and drink it. Oh, wait, (laughs) hold on. Uh, This is theory for the genesis of civilization. So Sumerian beer, oh, that one will go back. That's fun. I'm looking forward to that. It is interesting
3: how many civilizations invent alcohol and are like, I'm being possessed. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Dionysian mysteries, all that stuff. I mean, admittedly, they were lacing it with hallucinogens and stuff, so it was presumably the whole point. But it's just, I mean, as someone who has never been drunk and doesn't particularly... Relish the experience. It's just interesting to me that so many people were like, "What's happening? Dionysus has taken hold of me."
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and it also kind of depends on how strong the liquor is. Yeah. Yeah. The you know I mean alcohol wasn't that strong before distillation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But you could still get strong beers like we would have today. But for the most part, they were much lower, two and three percent alcohol. So it was more like drinking a, you know one of those fizzy seltzer drinks that you get at the the 7-Eleven. 4% alcohol
3: cream sodas.
0: Um, Yeah, Yeah. but if you drink enough of them Uh, on an empty
1: stomach. (laughs) If that's
0: all you've got on the deck of a ship crossing the Atlantic for four months, you're going to get there.
1: (laughs) That does explain a lot about pirates, actually. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) well, so this is interesting about gin. So I was just doing a little research on Plymouth Gin, Hmm. and one of the gins that they've just started remaking is what they called Navy Strength, which is actually what they had started off with. And Navy Strength gin had to be quite a bit more potent than normal gin. Normal gin is like 42 43% alcohol. Navy Mm -hmm. gin, I believe, had to be 53%. Because the story was you had to be able to pour it onto gunpowder, and that gunpowder still had to be able to ignite. Oh, Uh, huh. Not sure why... (laughs) That is, uh, but that, w- that was the story. But it was a lot stronger, and they've just started making that again. So, yeah. Wow. You know, oh, that's you fun. Have, you don't need much of that to really go to town. That yeah, like just be in the same like room alcohol. with it, and you'll start
0: seeing things. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, oh, I'm very excited for uh, for that. Um, but if there's nothing uh, else, uh, shall we switch over to the Q&A portion of the podcast? Sounds good Let's to me. Let's do it. Let's go.
2: Hello and welcome to the QA portion of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast, where we answer your questions from AskOSPod on Discord. This first question comes from one of our lovely patrons. If you'd like to support the channel, support the podcast, continue to feed Cleo that delicious, delicious tuna that she so loves, consider becoming a patron <laughs> and have a chance for your question to be featured first on the podcast. This question comes from Born Again Geek to Max. Imagine one of the OSP crew has a fancy event coming up that requires catering. What historical dishes would you serve up? Imagine a six course menu that is hors d'oeuvres, appetizer, salad, main, and dessert, as well as any historical drinks you want. Bon appetit, Oof. and I love your channel. Um, Make this a little- That's a thick question. Yeah,
1: that's a <laughs> tall order, man. Well, I guess the the main question is, am I doing the cooking? Because then it's gonna be very different, you know?
3: <laughs> I think in this theoretical scenario, you're like the Gordon Ramsay type, the, the master yes. chef. I'm just deciding, and then, then I
1: have it. a team of cooks. Yes. All right. Yeah, yeah you imagine you're like
0: Bartolomeo Scappi or someone, you've, you've, got, yeah, you've got some, some teams mm, behind you. Right. Maybe we, we truncate this to a three course meal, Yeah. yeah. whatever you
1: Design your, your oh, historical Oh, that's way menu. more reasonable. <laughs> Well, I, I think so I, I think that the very first thing is when you come in, mm-hmm. you you have some wonderful roast dormice dipped in honey. Mm. Uh, a Roman you know, classic. Absolutely <laughs> a Roman classic, and it kind of lets everyone know that they're in for a wild evening. Uh, <laughs> So, but that's before the, the appetizer. That's just kind of the amuse bush. Amuse bush, as you might say. Um, amuse bush would just be a funny bush, I suppose. But um, like the bush, do you guys remember the three amigos? The singing yes. bush? Yes. Uh, oh, I'm not no, aging actually, myself but. too much with that. Um, <laughs> and then we would move on to an appetizer. And I think that we would probably have to go with... Oh, da da da, da, da. I'm loving it. Um... <laughs> Something fishy for mm-hmm. an appetizer. Um, oh, I'm just gonna there's... pull up your channel and scroll through <laughs> and attempt to, to, right to help. Now, there's, there's a wonderful prawn recipe from uh, the uh, from Athenaeus, and it's it's basically like peppered prawns, Ooh. and I think that that would be a nice little you know kind of a like a shrimp cocktail, but yeah. but going back in time mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, for an. For an entree, I think we have to go with the medieval cock and trees. Oh, half gosh. Capon, oh, extreme. Half pig <laughs> sewn together <laughs> and stuffed with stuffing and then uh, colored gold and roasted. And, Horrifying. And it's Thank delicious. You. Because it's if wonderful. you like white meat, you've got the capon. If you like pork, then you've got the uh, the pig. Perfect. You get a little bit of everything. And then we finish off with a, uh, a flumery, which is a sweet gelatin-based hmm. kind of uh, creamy Ooh. dessert, and and a little bit of my favorite dessert, uh, Syllabub. Oh, of course. Yeah. a alcoholic gotta, gotta whipped syllabub. cream. What's not to mm. love? I made oh.
3: Syllabub without the alcohol once and concluded it was just whipped cream with orange juice. It
0: was still <laughs> no, good, exactly but- uh... <laughs> That's exactly what it is. Yeah. Excellent. Uh. Oh, that sounds lovely. Yeah. yeah.
2: Blue, I know your wedding's coming up. I don't know if you've locked in catering, but it sounds like there's <laughs> a possible <laughs> menu. <laughs>
0: Unfortunately, we have already locked in catering, but I'll see if they can make any substitutions. And there's
3: no dormouse on the menu. <laughs> oh, awesome.
0: It. I'm gonna need you to source six metric tons of saffron for this. <laughs>
2: <laughs> have you heard of English Simabon? only? <laughs> awesome. Well, this next question—a vanilla cake. Do you think I'm made of money?
1: <laughs> oh, seriously.
2: Oh, this next question comes from Grass. With multiple S's, so we're gonna s- hmm. the end grass. of there like a s- grass. To everyone, what is the strangest thing you've ever researched?
3: Uh, mm, like for channel purposes or just, just in you know, general? For funsies?
2: You know, just for funsies if that's got something weird up in there.
3: I mean, I I've done several little searches for just maps of tunnel systems under major cities, hmm. but that's for writing purposes, and I think you're allowed to Google like weird shit if you're writing. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's a surprising number of abandoned tunnels under most major cities
0: oh yeah yeah
3: i don't know if i like that you know it
1: kind of (laughs) it kind of changes it's it's, whatever is in my mind is the weirdest thing at any given moment and lately Mm. i've been studying the uh the sewer system of victorian (laughs) london and there's some weird stories that kind of go along with that so the great stink mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. and and stuff like that oh yeah
3: yeah oh yeah
0: exploding toilets that's always an issue yeah yeah i uh, hmm. i i'm trying to think of 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 weird things that that i've researched um the only thing that appears in my head is what i'm researching now which is which is britain and the empire <laughs> and that's like i i was telling red uh earlier i it is occupying so much of my brain space that I'm actually starting to forget other things. Because <laughs> oh, it's yeah. like, I can tell you yeah. so much bullshit about the Glorious Revolution of 1688, but like... Sian and I were at a dance class the other day and I forgot like entirely the basic steps of one of these dances And I'm like, oh god, no, no, I know this, but I don't know this Um, So Britain is is kicking out everything else in my head and replacing it with itself, which is very much what Britain does Um, It is literally colonizing my uh, my cerebrum Um, So that's that's all I've got for you right now.
3: (laughs) It sounds like we've got a perfect Venn diagram
1: tunnels uh, Britain and tunnels under Britain (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly Incredible. I also find
1: that like I, I rarely research weird things It's researching something very normal That you end up coming across those weird things mm-hmm. Yeah mm-hmm, You know, mm-hmm. that, which, is, which is the most fun part You know, research milk in Victorian England And you'll find out people were poisoning themselves With oh, orcs, yeah. you know so But you would never <laughs> look that up It's just something yeah. that kind of creeps up
2: Yeah, excellent yeah stuff all around. This next question, oh god. I, I got to read discord names every week on this podcast, and every week they manage to find new ways to throw me off my rhythm. Uh this question comes from Phil Illilup. Phil Phil Illilup. <laughs> That's just cruel. Phil it has got a bunch of ills in it. Phil <laughs> Two max, two max of tasting history and all. What is a food generally considered disgusting, such as durians? Uh oh, I'm so sorry to everyone who's uh, Understands how to pronounce these words: to durians, katsuomusu, and hakarol that you actually enjoy. So, what's a food that's uh, popularly maligned but you actually find quite good? Huh.
1: Um, well, durian is not one of them. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll say that I don't. I don't love it. Um, I don't hate it as much as the smell would make one think. Because, mm-hmm. like, yeah. there's a place near here in Thai town that makes a dried durian candy, mm-hmm. and it's it's just not good. It's it's not bad, but it's just not good for for me. Um, Mm. Gosh, foods that other people don't like that I mean, they're they're on the list for a reason. (laughs) Typically, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I I I, I have pretty basic
3: tastes, um, but I was at one point taken to one of those like slightly too fancy restaurants, where (laughs) everything on the menu looks good, but they all have one ingredient that makes me like, I, Mm, uh, mm, okay. And no Um,
1: substitutions.
3: And no substitutions, and usually not even salt and pepper on the table, because seasoning your food is an insult to the chef, I guess. Uh, But in this case, it was like, the person I was with was like, you gotta try these frog legs. And I was like, "Mm, fine. And it wasn't bad. It, It was like chicken, basically. But more expensive Mm -hmm, Uh, and it's like I don't like thinking about the animal that this used to be but it's not (laughs) the worst thing I've eaten
1: (laughs) You know, that's me with escargot. I actually love escargot and a
0: lot of people Mm -hmm. are kind
1: of grossed out by that
3: Yeah, I think that counts. Yeah,
0: Yeah. I I don't know if this is for me as like a specific food as a preparation but uh, among my friends I've gotten some hate for the fact that that I enjoy having peanut butter jelly sandwiches open-faced because when you swish yes. them together, it um, drips all over your hands, and that's disgusting. So I think you I might prefer be making your PBJ's sandwiches wrong. Open-faced. Blue. <laughs> yeah, it's not a sandwich. That is... <laughs> that's two pieces of toast.
2: Yeah.
3: <laughs> God, we've had
1: this and conversation this is before, and is Blue. my controversial
3: <laughs> Do we need to get Incredible. one of those, like, uncrustable sandwich presses for you to keep it from spilling? yeah <laughs> You need uh, the, yeah, the
2: ravioli well, of P b and j right there, right.
0: Mm. I don't need to oh. explain myself to you people <laughs> <laughs> oh, awesome. It's the same food. it's just a different shape.
3: I mean that's not incorrect, but like you could argue topologically, most foods fall into one of about four categories. <laughs> God no i we are not opening up that can of
0: <laughs> oh, you don't want to open up that of food. sandwich of. <laughs> yeah the sandwich chart of like construction purist to construction anarchist and ingredients purist to ingredients Mm. anarchist
2: (laughs) (laughs) all right well to quickly change subjects uh this next question comes from radishing lad to all what is your favorite way to have an egg Hmm.
1: Um, creme brulee Mm. Ooh.
2: Mm. a fancy. bold of choice right out the gate
0: <laughs> yeah no that no max is right that's the answer that's I the mean, answer I
3: would, I, i've got to say uh toad in the hole you know fried in butter with bread it's perfect yeah uh, but creme brulee is also very good
2: yeah I'm a, I'm a fried egg on toast make like homemade bread and then you fry it in the pan put the egg on top Ooh, Ooh. chef's kiss it's extra fancy yeah, add a few more steps. Really feel like you're in a, a scene from like a Ghibli movie making breakfast. That's the goal at all times. You don't need
3: that extra steps to feel like you're in a Ghibli movie. That's the whole point. It's beauty in the mundane.
0: <laughs> now, now, Indigo, are these all food questions? <laughs> uh,
3: there's at least one Olympics question, so no. Oh, goody.
2: <laughs> the people were like, oh, we're having tasting history on the podcast. Well, <laughs> I know what I'm going to ask about. And I just, I'm at the Let's mercy make of the people. really hungry. <laughs> makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Speaking of uh, food-related questions, this question comes from Green Leader (laughs) to Max. How do you think people of the past would receive the foods of today? If you time-traveled from, say, the medieval times or ancient Greece to today, ignoring the obvious technology equals magic confusions, how do you think they would react to our modern-day
1: dishes? I think it kind of depends on the, uh, the the stature of the people. At the Mm. time Mm. but if you're like because if it was wealthy people in the middle ages they would taste our food and probably think it was pretty bland Mm. Uh, we don't at least here in the west we don't use nearly the amount of spices that they would have used um i also think that they would find it weird that we separate our sweet foods from our savory foods like why isn't there sugar in this pizza Uh, (laughs) unless it's papa john's and then there is sugar in the pizza Mm. but uh I, I think that that would be a thing. But I think that most people from most of history would uh, just find our food, at least here in the U.S., very, very sweet. Yeah. Just yeah. We just add so much sugar. Then. Mm. I mean, gosh, you don't even have to go back in time. Just go to Europe. If you have a German come <laughs> over and eat our food, like, what are what, what is this? Why is there so much sugar in this? Yeah. yeah.
3: I think generously there's a degree to which, you know, some of them would be like, There's vanilla in this and cinnamon, but like
1: <laughs> Right. You know, yeah. that really like if initial you get the like a spice Cinnabon. Shock. Yeah. 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 I also think just the, the vast the array of cuisine that we have oh, at yeah. our fingertips. Yeah. I mean mm-hmm. just food from all over the world, different types of cuisines, that was not the norm for people. They pretty much would eat very similar foods maybe seasonally but it was kind of the same thing every yeah. day most of the time for most people.
0: Yeah, I think mm-hmm. that is one of the really cool things about like the world that we live in now is that like almost almost everywhere has access to at least a handful of of cuisines outside of like you know one one person's native culture so you know not everywhere will have access to everything obviously but like you know most people uh living you know around or, or near you know decently sized uh cities around the world will have access to to stuff from different places which is really cool because like culinary cultural exchange is where we i mean max correct me if i'm wrong but i feel like that's where we get like most New interesting foods from yeah. <laughs> because if you if you leave people to their own devices like you're gonna get a handful of things and then probably not a lot of innovation uh, over time like you know what we think of it as Italian food is like here's all these new world fruits and vegetables uh, that are now the ba- like tomatoes uh, yep. thank yeah. uh, thank the new world <laughs> for that guys um, so I think just the 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 raw multiculturalism uh, on display uh, of cuisine is is at least from my perspective is what I think is the most interesting aspect of the way that we we have food nowadays that you know we have so much you know crossover and 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 mingling of different tastes and palates where you have like you know you have a you know american food you have chinese food and you have americanized chinese food you have uh chinese versions of american food Mm -hmm. and just all of the the spectra that exist are really really cool because it's like oh you know this isn't authentic but it's a mix and it's a new thing and that in itself is valuable and cool
1: that well that's what all cuisine is like i you know you see these And I guess you don't see them too often anymore, but fusion restaurants where it's taking, you know, Japanese and and Mexican food and putting it together. And it's like, well, all right, but that's really just every food that's almost ever been has been a fusion. Like you said, you know, I mean, pizza, Well, that's Mm. fusion cuisine because it's old world ingredients and, you know, the ingredients of the new world brought together to create something new. That's I gotta just wonder, is.
3: Uh, and I'm not really like super the expert on this. I'm just like extrapolating world building wise. It it feels to me that like the ability to experiment with the food you're cooking is something that comes from a position of relative privilege compared to how a lot of people lived historically, where it's like what you what you eat is what you have. You know, like right. you're, you're not you're yeah. gonna you're gonna experiment with the stuff you have because you know if if you're eating the same thing every day, you're probably gonna just get really depressed. But like you know you don't necessarily think oh i'll put in a little bit of spice to to flavor this if you don't have spice or if you know spice costs like thousands of contemporary dollars or whatever um so the fact that we have the ability to just kind of create these crazy fusion cuisine things that you can get like whatever spices you want and like whatever basic ingredients you want and just mess with them that comes from this like weirdly interconnected just civilization that's just formed globally of like yeah. if you've got a grocery store you're gonna have like aisles with stuff from different cultures although admittedly having one aisle for all of asia is maybe not going to give hey. you the, the <laughs> greatest distribution of things but you know the, the ability to experiment and create that kind of fusion cuisine it feels recent because it's it's the result of this sort of global trade that's that's happened in the last couple centuries i think
0: yeah and there were like there have always been places that did those kinds of things you know oh, like yeah. when you have cultures as sweeping as like you know rome or whatever where it's like yeah you know they have from northern england downs to like pretty far along the nile in egypt and everything in between you can you can do a lot or you know like like venice was a huge uh um, source of, of, of culinary innovation, because it's like, we have spices coming from all over. We've got pepper, we've got salt, we've got all kinds of things. We got lots of good fish from the lagoon in the Adriatic. Let's go. And outside of, you know, like a handful of, of, of specific, you know, cultures that, that had a lot of resources at their fingertips to do exactly that red, just like throw things together and figure stuff out or Mm -hmm. places that happens to be at the crossroads. A lot of places, um, there, there weren't as, as, as many of those opportunities as there are now where like, Almost anyone can do that kind of stuff.
3: And we can't forget the influence of refrigeration and canning, because oh, the yeah. longer yeah. your food yeah. lasts, the more food you can have on hand to play with. So, yeah. yeah, not
1: only eating salted meat. Half exactly. Here is, is a big. <laughs> I thing. mean,
3: the fact that places in inland America can get fresh fish is like nerds, you know. <laughs> like, yeah, that, that's pretty long. How, how did we get here?
1: Though <laughs> so it's interesting because I. To play a little devil's advocate. Um, <laughs> yes, I mean, obviously, right now, we are kind of living in the most um, amazing time when it comes to sharing cuisine and, mm. and all of that. But I think that sometimes people think of the past as being even more segregated yeah. cuisine-wise than than they actually were. I did a recent video on saffron rice mm. from medieval uh, from 14th century england and the number of comments of they had rice in <laughs> europe in the middle ages <laughs> yes they actually used rice all the time and they were growing it there and everything was it from there originally no but by then absolutely and and a lot of people had access to it i mean almond milk very very popular ingredient at the time and people are shocked about that mm. so sometimes it's not as people did have access to more sometimes than we than we think. At
0: least I agree. many people. That's that's um, valid. I think point that the, uh,
3: I guess the the flip side of, you know, the point about people, you know, they cooked with what they had is that that meant that they really wanted to have more things to cook with. <laughs> so, yes. yeah. you know, you yeah. have almonds, yeah, yeah, you're yeah. gonna see what happens if you grind them up and, and strain them and it, w- what comes out, is that good to eat? I don't know, maybe, let's find out. Can I use right. it like I would use regular milk? You know, people, the, the, their access might have been more limited but that means they had much more reason to experiment when they had that option you know if they, if they weren't like living you know hand mouth day to day then you're gonna you know you're gonna be allowed to play around and maybe it doesn't come out great but it'll still be edible and then you can try again the next day
0: yeah. yeah, and, like, Max, for some of your videos with, like, the videos where we get the cookbooks, like, um, uh, like, uh, like Apicius, a Scappi, and, like, any French cookbook from the 1700s, like, <laughs> the kinds of food on display, uh, not just at the banquets, but also in some of the day-to-day the stuff, uh, is, like, things that we would never even consider <laughs> to make oh, right yeah. now, so, no, it, I think creativity was... is, is, is one of the, uh, the, yeah. the things that we definitely can't discount.
1: Yeah, and, and in a way it was... I don't know if it came from a need because it was just like everything is an ingredient if it doesn't kill you when you eat it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which now it's it's not. I mean, very few restaurants are you going to find ambergris, and cuttlefish with ostrich meat on the menu. Um, yeah. Not, you know, I think there's a McDonald's here that serves serves some of that, but <laughs> other than that. Um, Try a new yeah, ambergris no, burger. I, I, there was a time, was no, with, with the wealthy, it was, you know, people were more adventurous than they are yeah. today in, oh, in, I agree. Some respects, in some respects. Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of adventure, but not at all related to food, the Olympics are happening, so I have one sports question for us.
1: Sports. Sports. I'll remain See, silent.
2: Us... I know nothing. This one comes from yeah, party any of us one. To uh, all with the Olympics finally starting, if you were allowed to compete in one event, which event would you choose?
3: Hmm. Are we allowed to make them up? Because... No. It's ex- <laughs> okay. explicitly an Olympics event. Then let me just Google a list of Olympics <laughs> events real
1: quick. Dressage. Ooh. I would have to go with dressage, dressage because... Fun, yeah the horse is doing all the work. I just have to sit there and move my thighs. (laughs) I did know. I actually got to know somebody who did dressage and it is an art form. Mm. The, the, Mm. the relationship between that person and the horse takes so long to create. And, and it is, you know, it is very like the movement that she had to do with her thighs is kind of crazy, but uh, you know, it's a, I'm sure it's a lot less strenuous than running, swimming, skiing anything <laughs> it requires a lot of movement yeah. on my part mm-hmm. i
0: would imagine like the skill floor between dressage and running a marathon is considerably lower yeah very <laughs> it's like different. it's hard to do dressage well but like if you get on a horse and like point it in the vaguely right direction you're going to be able to finish the event <laughs> whereas most of us <laughs> try to run a marathon and drop dead halfway through yeah
3: yeah <laughs> I, i'm looking at these in terms of like what would be least strenuous that i would still feel okay doing and i uh I feel like I would want to do archery. Like I am not I was going to personally- say Olympic oh, yeah. archery, yeah. yeah. I'm not like super good at archery, but I am pretty good at archery. And if I had the opportunity to practice, I'm pretty sure I could be quite good at archery. Not necessarily Olympic level, but like I'm less likely to die doing that than I am doing freestyle <laughs> skiing where the little logo they have is a man doing a backflip on skis. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. I, one thing yeah. I was wondering is how do you start training for a ski jump? Like how? I saw a video like, where, of this the recently entry where someone, point for was, that? someone
2: was practicing their ski jumps and they were doing it over and into a pool so that if they messed up, they landed in the water. Which still feels oh, like okay. That's got to be a
1: difficult. Period. But like, ooh. If you fall into a pool with skis, I would think that you would drown. I, how do you uh, swim yeah. with? Skis I imagine on? they've got
2: maybe they've got like a life vest on when Somebody they jump. right there. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's only like, like four like feet guard deep, on duty. so they can stand yeah. up.
3: Uh, Also, I believe most skis do have, like, quick-release pop-offs, although uh, the one time I tried skiing, mine didn't work, and also I broke my clavicle, so... um... Yeah, (laughs) I also very bad at
2: skiing. I uh, had to get toboggan down a mountain, because a guy who patrols the route was like, you've been on this for maybe three hours, and it's supposed to take you, like... 20 minutes to get down. Do you want me to just sledge you down? And I was like, yeah, okay, we can. We can. Yes, please. <laughs> that, sounds good.
3: that would be nice. Yeah. Thank you. I do feel like a now. lot of these <laughs> a lot of these sports have kind of a tall point of entry because on some level you have to just fling yourself into it and hope for the mm-hmm. best. And like yeah, the thing yeah. is, a lot of times if you're new and you fling yourself into it, you injure yourself and then you never want to do it again. It's like, I'm thinking yeah. back to the way I learned gymnastics and I'm like, I'm pretty sure I only got away with that because I was eight and extremely durable. <laughs> <laughs>
1: honestly any olympian anybody who competes in the olympics is to me just like it's an amazing thing yeah. i mm-hmm. mean the, the oh, yeah. amount of work that you have to put in for any of to compete at that level at any of those things is just it's beyond me and i applaud them and i would never do it that's, yep. that's
0: <laughs> basically what it comes down to i'm like no
1: yeah too I'm lazy. good like, for
0: you though <laughs> if if you showed like footage of the modern olympics to some ancient greeks they'd be like This is a full-time job for these people. I, like, I I try to eat a little healthier and do some push-ups before I got on the boat to come here. But, like, (laughs) what? How much training does this event take? Are you kidding
3: me? I've (laughs) seen people point out, like, you know, the winning uh, vault routine from, like, 1900. And it's basically a lady, like, bounces over the vault and then lands it and puts her arms up. And everyone's like, wow. And then the winning vault routine from, you know, like, 2016 is, like, a triple
1: quadruple. Yeah. How it's progressed in the last hundred years.
3: Yeah, yeah. it's like an arms race, you know. You I would need say to for, for my
0: answer, I would I would take the the easy route in indigo. You can do the same thing uh, by by saying fencing. Mm, I was gonna uh, say, say know, sport that both do, of us both of already know how to do. I no <laughs> that already. Um, I, yeah. I, we would get our asses feels, kicked, but we yeah. could compete. <laughs> yeah, <So laughs> that's
3: the good saying. thing about archery. Nobody's shooting at you. I would
0: want
2: to participate in Olympic skateboarding. Only because the outfits are so cute. I want that red jumpsuit mm. so badly. U.S. <laughs> women's Olympic skateboarding. I oh, if anyone's got next an year, I didn't even know that up. was an
1: Olympic sport. <laughs> it's newly oh, yeah. added.
2: Olympic uh, skateboarding and surfing were new this year. Um, and like both a thirteen-year-old gold, right? Oh yeah. Well, a lot, of the, yeah. a lot of the skateboarders and surfers are a lot younger. Um, it's sort of like well, gymnastics, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a sport that's easier if you're smaller and mm-hmm. lighter. So mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And you yeah. get to meet Sir Tony Hawk, finally. I, you know, that's... <laughs> Sir Tony Hawk.
2: <laughs> <laughs> he should be knighted, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah, that wouldn't well, well, be. just because we don't have a well.
3: constitutional
2: monarchy that can knight him doesn't mean he doesn't deserve it. He's knighted in my eyes. Uh, but we have time for, <laughs> I think, I think one last question here, and we'll bring it back to being vaguely food-related, because uh, oh, we right. have, we, there's a theme. <laughs> we gotta roll
3: with it. This is uh, the episode that makes you really hungry. Our condolences. Yes. We should add a warning. <laughs> Have a snack on hand while listening.
2: This question comes from Inez Blue. To all, I work at a Starbucks, and when we make cold brew, we have to make it 20 hours in advance to label it. Mm-hmm. I've started writing out dramatic prophecies of what will happen once the <laughs> cold brew is released that sound like they've been oh, taken God. straight out of D and D. What's your oh. dramatic prophecy? So let, let's let's give this this listener some some prophecies that they can use uh, in their their place of business to to you know tell what will happen when their cold brew is released unto the world.
3: First of all, I question. conceptually love everything about this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I know, this is a person I want to know in real life.
3: Right?
2: <laughs> this is
0: like two steps off of Roman curse tablets, and I yeah. love that. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> and I, like, I think it's important to keep in mind, because my interpretation of this question is that the, whatever the prophecy we've in the cold brew is going to happen to anyone who drinks this cold brew, right? So like, what, did, what do we want to inflict on these, these Starbucks goers? Uh, hmm. Just getting their coffee in the morning.
3: I don't know. Improvising a curse is kind of tricky. It's a prophecy, not
2: a curse. So it could is, be possible. Is it a prophecy
0: for like in general or is it specific to the person who will be consuming this cold brew? It's,
2: I, th- I think it's in general. Like how
0: much of a fortune cookie are we writing here is basically what I'm saying. It's yeah. in
2: general, but it, it has to be something that could happen 20 hours from when you write it on the cold brew because that's okay. when the cold I mean, brew yeah. will be- Release.
3: Are we going with prophecy, or like this is not a place of honor? No great deeds are commemorated by this coffee. <laughs>
2: I mean, whatever your heart tells you, red.
0: We really have to settle the world building implications of this question before we can get into the reads here. I do love
2: the idea of like in like a like a witch that owns a coffee shop and they just like write like prophecies in all of their brews, and so they make they're actually selling potions, yeah. but the potions are all just like put in the coffee. It can, like, that is the like, most whimsical urban episode fantasy
1: concept. Yeah. Where Go Homer goes, uh, like the monkey pot episode where he goes oh. and there's, we also serve frozen yogurt, but the frozen yogurt is cursed. But it, but I can't remember finishing. But it also contains potassium benzonate. That's bad.
3: That's what I'm thinking. Oh, it's the, that's uh, good, that's bad. I've seen that meme.
1: The That's good, ooh, that's good. Ooh, that's ooh, bad. That's bad. bad. <laughs>
3: Oh God. Alright. Cold brew prophecies. Cold brew um, prophecies. I mean there's like the basic options like if you're doing the witch in the coffee shop version, it's like whosoever unwisely contains this cup without looking where they're going shall find themselves in a mighty mess. Like that's not that's not complicated, but I it's like the it's idea likely of, to like, happen.
2: Like hyper specific prophecies like Today, Nintendo stock will drop three whatevers. I don't know how the stock market works, but it will drop. <laughs> Just like really, at ten thirty-two precisely. Duck. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like,
0: uh, yes. Um,
2: I like that one because you well, either,
3: <laughs> either gonna see
2: a duck or you gotta start
3: squatting. Yeah, you're uh, gonna see a duck and be like, oh, I get it. Bong. <laughs>
0: Follow the lizards. This traces back to the fact that, like, from a world-building conception, the Oracle of Delphi is fucking insane. (laughs) (laughs) The fact that there's, like, this one person who everybody in Greece and beyond goes to to figure out their shit, absolutely absurd on paper, but from a world-building perspective, it's fascinating. So, like, I love this and coffee then... shop is like the Oracle of Delphi. It's like, if you drink this coffee before 6pm, you will overcome a great challenge, <laughs> but shall you uh, uh, attempt to consume it uh, directly before your meeting? Surely doom awaits.
3: <laughs> I was gonna be like, it's a shame that no other culture did the Oracle of Delphi thing and just had one person for everyone to talk to. And then I was like, I guess there are some modern talk shows that kind of constitute that. And then I was like, wouldn't it be be great if the Oracle of Delphi had a modern talk show. <laughs> I would watch like that. Like calling I in people from it, the yeah. audience. I'm you're here feels. because uh, your wiener yeah. doesn't work, <laughs> and you're curious about how to fix that. It's like, well, thank, uh, yes, thank you, Oracle.
0: Callers speak for thou art on the line.
2: <laughs> oh, man. oh no! This, this question has proven to be a, a, a well of uh, urban <laughs> fantasy ideas. <laughs> Yeah. Well, all right.
1: And it's it's so apropos because I literally just finished an episode on Nostradamus. Oh. Because <laughs> oh. <laughs> he actually wrote a cookbook. What? Yes. Oh my god. And what? so I cooked something from this cookbook. Uh, but obviously, you know, he's more known for his prophecies. So I've got like all of his prophecies here in front of me. Oh no. <laughs> Try to think which one has to do with cold brew. I feel like Nostradamus writes a cookbook is
3: like a joke, and I can't believe it's real. <laughs>
1: but he did. He that's did incredible.
3: I love it. People are amazing. Yeah, yeah. We're all we're, right. We're running long.
2: So Nostradamus let's, let's, uh... is like you
0: will cook this one first, and you will add too much salt, but that's okay. You'll try it again, and it'll be much better.
3: You can add an uh, unsalted raw potato to it to get the salt out.
2: I think. <laughs> Let's, uh, let's, get some, let's get some prophecies out here for our, our dear listener before oh, we, yeah, yeah. Before we right. I, I write so. our own fantasy universe. Into- mm.
1: Whoever so shall drinks this cold brew shall have hours of youth restored to them enough to dominate the world as long as
0: one can hold their bladder Ooh. and doesn't spend the afternoon peeing it out.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: My prophecy is uh, the drinker of this beverage shall consume it far too late and shall be up till 4 (laughs) a.m. That's me. Oh, gosh. Anything after 9 a.m., done.
3: (laughs) The unworthy who acquires this coffee shall forget they ever acquired it, leaving it on a shelf in their work area until four hours later when they're like, didn't I get coffee? Then they shall drink it, but it shall be cold and tepid. And,
0: <laughs> and then they unpleasant. shall microwave it in an attempt to bring it back to temperature and leave it in their microwave for another two hours. <laughs> but wait, it's then, cold brew.
3: <laughs> oh, wait. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I'm th-
0: Which is the one where they make it cold and then they heat it up? Is that well, a thing, thing, or if someone no, just I, fed me I, bullshit? What? No, no, Cold brew
3: know. is brewed cold. That's yes. the point. Uh, it, That's it's what I'm supposed saying. So to be. Would, you don't yeah. heat it up. So you afterwards. wouldn't want to heat it up. I mean, you probably could. It wouldn't, like, make it, we, it more yeah, bad. I mean, I'm
0: not a coffee drinker. I'm out of my depth here. <laughs> well,
3: I've only tried making cold brew once because it requires patience I do not have. And normally by the time I'm thinking, I want coffee, I'm thinking, I want coffee five minutes ago. <laughs> so Not uh, in yeah. ten hours.
1: Uh, no, not
3: in ten hours. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, the the gist with cold brew is that you brew it cold, and I believe it's supposed to make it less harsh but more yeah. caffeinated. So you yeah, could no, heat it up, that I no drink problem. Is cold brew. Yeah, yeah.
0: I've okay, just never I thought, heated it up, I just put it over ice. <laughs> mm-hmm. Gotcha, it's okay, usually, then, yeah. then change my but prophecy you to, you'll put ice in it to cool, <laughs> to cool it back down and then forget about it and it'll become lukewarm again. Okay, there we go, there we go. <laughs> Water yeah. down cold brew.
3: Mm. Whosoever acquires this cold brew shall be one who does not understand what they have unleashed.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they'll
3: be like, why is it this hot? And the poor barista will have to heat it up for them. And then they'll be like, this tastes bad. Why did you do that? Barista, it's My last prophecy curfew.
0: is you'll wish that you'd gotten tea instead. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Barista, that's my last prophecy. my iced
2: coffee cold? And the barista just sort of like ages 20 years when you say that to them. <laughs> uh, but these, these have all been incredibly wonderful uh, prophecies, and I hoped that our dearly listener is able to to uh label their cold brew forever in as entertaining a manner but uh red you know we're coming up on time for the
3: episode oh, and i feel like i have yeah, to ask me. are you ready Fine. to do the outro have you prepared I it? i mean <laughs> you know Wait, what i feel again. like at this point we're we're like four different osp chats deep and i don't even know which one is the right one that has the thing in it and if you're <laughs> well, is th-
0: finding the outro uh max where can people find your channel uh, YouTube.com slash
1: tasting history is the channel. And then you can follow me on Instagram at tasting history with Max Miller. I'm always there, mostly sharing pictures of my cats. Yeah. I
0: This morning, I just saw a lovely picture of, I think it was Cersei in front of the Colosseum. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was Jamie, yes. yes. It was Jamie. Damn it. Oh, 50 <laughs> yeah. 50 chance and I missed it. <laughs> it it's Wonderful. almost
1: always Jamie because Cersei doesn't like being on camera, whereas Jamie oh, okay. seeks it out. Gotcha. Yeah.
2: And all of that information yeah. will of course be linked in the show notes below, so I highly encourage all our listeners to go check out all of the tasting history goodness there. Red, have you have you found yes. have you found something worth Do saying aloud? Do you know
3: how <laughs> many OSP chats we have on Discord? Do you know how many of them we've added people to and then left? <laughs> you know how many of these I have to sort through to try and find the pinned comment? I'm three chats deep and none of them have any pins. I hope you know what I'm going through for this. You can always just wing it. (laughs) Ha! Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. And if you want more of that sweet, sweet OSP content, go check out our channel on YouTube. Want to ask a question for the next pod? Follow the link in the description to To Ask OS Pod channel on Discord for a chance for your question to be featured on air. Until next time, I've been Red.
0: I've been Blue.
3: And this has been an overly sarcastic podcast. You happy?
0: for the record there's been a typo in there
3: the whole time (laughs) and you Uh. won't edit it
2: thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of the overly sarcastic podcast we'll be back on august 18th but if you miss us before then you sly dog you head over to youtube for even more overly sarcastic antics got a question for the show, head to AskOSPod on Discord for a chance to be featured in a future episode. And if you really enjoyed the podcast, please rate us and leave a review on your preferred podcast platform. And if you really, really enjoyed the podcast, consider becoming a patron to support the channel and the show. Links to all that and the info on where to find our wonderful guest tasting history can be found in the show notes below.